Hello everyone, and welcome to One Control Port Podcast, episode 260. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today, talking about video games. How was it last week? How was it with past Ben? What was, was he saying some crazy stuff? Did he, like, say Xenosaga episode 2 is like an A-rank video game? What's wrong with him? Now, we all learn, we all grow, and as we get older, we we realize our mistakes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I did that last week, did that ranking videos thing, so appreciate if you listen to that. Um, I had fun doing those ranking videos. They're definitely good for, like, when I'm out of town and stuff like that, although I did see somebody disliked it um, for for that video. And, and let me give you, like, kind of a heads up here. Like, I think there's, like, a, a lot of good reasons to have dislikes on YouTube videos and stuff, especially from a consumer perspective. You know, being able to mark something as, as or see something ahead of time and be like, hey, this has, like, a high dislike ratio so I can make a decision of whether I want to watch this video or not because it might be a low-quality video. Um, and then also YouTube has its algorithm aspect. But as a creator... Um, I think there's very, at least for, for the type of content I create, it's very difficult to really get a lot of information from a dislike because I'm usually, you know, jumping between different topics, jumping between different formats and all that stuff. And, you know, maybe if I had a more consistent, you know, format where like, you know, I have an entire channel dedicated to Bunny Mission Bond and all of a sudden I suddenly start talking about, I don't know, Mario Party or something like that, right? And you're like, no, no, I came here for content about Aaron and Luke, I'm pairing them together. What are you doing? Don't talk about Mario Party. I don't care about your Mario Party characters. I only care about Aaron and Luke, please. <laughs> um, and if you like came to that and dislike it, it'd be very easy to be like, oh, people just hate that I'm talking about Mario Party. But because like I'm jumping between stuff all the time, it's really hard for me to figure out, you know, what a dislike actually means. So in the case of that Xeno Saga or the Monolith Soft ranking video, it's like somebody disliked it. And like, I don't know if you disliked what I was doing, talking about Monolith Soft, if you disliked the fact I was ranking them, if you dislike my opinion on Xenosaga, which I'm guessing where that dislike probably came from was my my opinions on the Xenosaga being very uh, harsh at times, or if you just don't like me doing podcasts in general. And so it's like, it's like, okay, you disliked it, but I have no information. So if you, if you are somebody who dislikes my video sometimes, and I think that's perfectly fine and valid for you to do, um, as somebody who, who who's a content creator, I would really appreciate like receiving some like actual written feedback on that stuff. Um, you know, the easiest way to do it is through the comments, but I know some people don't like doing that because that drives engagement and they view that as a, like, you know, if they dislike the video, they don't want to show engagement with the video. So feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, you know, discord, however you want to reach out to me and just let me know, because that's really how I can tell, you know, how I can change things in the future. If you just dislike it, I have no idea why you disliked it. Like, it's just like, okay, somebody disliked it. Admittedly, this is the context of one dislike on one video, so it really doesn't matter, but I thought it'd be like an interesting thing to talk a little bit about um, before we get started here. So anyways, I guess it's probably worth talking about what I did last weekend. So I did go out of town um, for my birthday. I went up to uh, Los Angeles. I haven't been there before, really. Um, Mainly went there to go check out Little Tokyo. You know, maybe not a really, like, great place to go search for, like, a trip or something like that, but I just kind of wanted to get out of town with my dad a little bit, so we went up there. I've never been to, like, a Disneyland Epcot Center where they have, like, the different regional things. It feels very similar to that. Basically, like, a little strip that you can kind of go down, a bunch of little shops on the side. Good food there, I will say. Good good variety of food there, um, and and it was all, everything I had there was was pretty good. Um, I, there were meat buns there I didn't get to try because every time I passed by it, we had already just eaten. I was like, oh, I'm full, but I really want to try one of those meat buns. I do love, I, I do love buns a lot. Um, but anyway, so we went there, and, uh, you know, the shops on the sides, you know, I personally would 
prefer like you know kitchen utensils and, and you know even if it's not something like specifically like oh i want a japanese spatula or something like that you know if it's like hey is there like a cute kitchen utensils that's the kind of stuff i generally prefer honestly when i go to those kind of things this definitely was more along the lines of like hey do you want like a demon slayer figure and i have no business caring about any of that for most things you know do you want fate stuff I'm like no i don't really want this fake garbage to throw on my shelf and never look at again uh, not only because i don't care about those series but also it's stuff that i don't really have any uses for so those kind of shops you know i went in there were a few of them and just kind of like okay well these are shops i can definitely look at and go through and, and stare at so it's, it's like fine and there definitely were like you know pen like notepads and pens and stuff so it's not that there wasn't anything of utility there but a lot of it was just kind of like the general anime fan stuff that you'd go to like an anime convention and see at like a booth or something so personally just so don't have a ton of interest in that there was like a game shop there there's actually gunpla there as well but there's a game shop there um and uh i did buy a couple games it I, I want, it's really hard to shop in, in shops like the one that was there because like it has that problem. And I'm going to tell you about my game shop preferences here. I really don't like game shops when you go in and you can't look at the games. Um, they put them behind glass or whatever, or, or they, you know, put them in a back shelf. So you can't like look at them. I don't know the intention behind that. Maybe it's in high theft areas or something like that or whatever. But if I go into your shop and I can't like look at the thing I'm going to be purchasing, it kind of takes away a lot of the um, value of going into a game shop and be able to kind of like window shop. And maybe that doesn't make as much sense if you have people coming in and saying, I want the Mario bro. And you're like, yes, I do have the Mario bro. Here you go. Kind of thing. Um, if But for someone like me who's coming in just to like browse and you're going to pick up whatever's there, um, it, it's, it's just really difficult. So like I went back there later because my dad was like, you want to go back there? I'm like I could look more. But when I got there, I'm just like, it's just so hard to go through because they have like, they actually had a decent number of imports, which is actually, you know, good for me personally. Um, but like, you know, if you line up a bunch of PlayStation games with on a spine and put it behind glass, like, uh, yeah, there are all these white cases, like edges with like t Japanese text on them. And I can read some of them, um, but like, I can't read much of them. And I'm going to guess the majority of people going there probably can't read a ton of it either, or at least a, a large number, right? Um, so I'm just like, I don't know. It's it's just one of those things that like I personally just find those stores to feel almost like aggressive to some degree. And you can always go up and be like, hey, can you go and like hand me this thing so I can look at it? But when you're looking at like a, a set of PlayStation imports, like I just feel terrible being like, can you literally take out these like 40 to 80 video games and lay them out on a counter in a way I can look at them? I hate doing that. And like the person there clearly doesn't really want to be there doing that. I've had other shops where people just seem like annoyed, like, which ones do you want to look at specifically? I'm like, I can't fucking tell because they're all Japanese names on a white spine. <laughs> like, so I got to look at them somehow. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. I think it's like a really, for someone like me, it's a really terrible way to lay out those stores. So um, I did kind of hone in on their Wii import section um, and did do a little bit of trying to spine read those. Um, so if you didn't see, we actually did a video, um, uh, last week where I went through a bunch of, um, Japanese commercials, uh, for the week and I had a great time doing that. And, and, you know, personally, I, I love that video and, and I would love to do more like that in the future. Maybe not that specifically, but videos like that, I think would be something that'd be fun to do. I think it was nice for a couple of reasons. One, I learned things in it. I always love learning new things about video games. And if I can come away from something feeling like I've learned, that is always happy a happy feeling for me. Um, and then also we got to talk about a wide range of games. 
I like talking about imports I've played. I like talking about the smaller mid games I've played. I like talking about what makes Super Mario Galaxy really cool. I like being able to talk about that full range of topics in a single thing. That makes me happy. Um, and I don't think that's like a good thing from a YouTube content perspective. And most of my videos are very focused on individual games. So being able to do that all in one video, I think was like a really nice thing to do. So I, I had fun with that. Anyways, one of the things in there was Crazy Climber. Um, and I was like, Crazy Climber looks neat. I would like Crazy Climber. And they had a copy of Crazy Climber there. It was $30, a little more expensive than I'd like. I usually, actually, honestly, a lot more expensive than I'd like. And I bought it, I'm kind of being like, it was 30 bucks, I think I said already. Um, and so I was like, I bought it and I didn't feel good about it. But when I looked it up later, that actually looks like about the right price for Crazy Climber. I don't really know why that's the right price. It does not seem like a Wii game that would have a lot of like enthusiasm behind it. But maybe there's, maybe there's an amazing Crazy Climber community and they have driven the price of Crazy Climber up. I don't know. Um, just seems like a really weird thing. But at the time I purchased it, I thought I was getting, you know, a big, not rip off, but like this probably wasn't priced accurately. Um, but when I looked later, it was priced accurately. So, so, you know, it's actually a little lower than a lot of, uh, uh, copies I saw online, you know, having to pay shipping and stuff like that. Also a big plus. So it ended up working out, but, but yeah, I did pick that up and I was just like, <laughs> so, so that was, uh, that was fun. Um, we also went to like the botanical gardens up there. So that was a, a good time. Also a couple of arcades, like a crane game place. I think it's called like the neon fun zone was the crane game place. And I think there was the Neon Fun Arcade, which was like the more like traditional arcade. Mainly had kind of like, well, it had a good variety of things, but the, the focus was definitely like on 80s arcade stuff. And, you know, being there with my dad, I think that's the stuff he likes too. So like it was, it, it worked out fine. We played some Joust and Robotron and stuff like that. So it was a good time. Pr pretty low key trip overall. Didn't really go up there with a lot of plans um, and just kind of, you know, meandered about <laughs> basically and uh, and had, had a time, had a adventure there. So that's what happened last week. I really don't think I have too much more to say about that though. So Anyways, I did play some video games. Um, one of these games I actually played a while ago and I forgot to talk about it. And then so then I had the week out last week. So we extra long did not talk about it. Um, that was Knight's Journey of Dreams, which is the sequel to Knight's Into Dreams on the Sega Saturn. Um, and so I had been wanting to check it out for a while. Um, so I finally got around to, to it. And, you know, it's a game that I think is definitely clearly a worse game than the original Knight's. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad game either. Um, you know, I, I, I think I might do a video on this game at some point, so I don't want to say too much. Um, but I think really what matters to me in Knights games, or at least the first Knights game, is the structure. Because there's kind of like, uh, there's kind of like three layers to Knights games, honestly. And like, you kind of fall in different layers as somebody who's played Knights. There's the surface level layer, which is get to the end and just go. And that's like the most boring layer, because it's basically just like a very easy, excuse me, a very easy 2D flight game, I guess you could call it. I don't know, but it's like, there's not a lot to it. You just kind of go from start to finish, get a bad rank, and then you finish the game. Um, and then there's the layer below that. And that that middle layer is the uh, score attack layer. And, and I think Knights is a game that does score attack very well. And there's very important things about how it handles score attack. I won't go into too much detail about it. But basically, that score attack layer, I think, is very awesome, like interesting and awesome. And that's the part of Knights that I really like. But then there's a deeper layer of knights where there's like this like ecosystem raising mechanic where you can raise these little nightopians that are basically like, you know, the Sonic Adventure Chows, but as little nightopians instead. 
And that part of the game is like, if you don't know about it off the like top of your head, it's almost completely un unrecognizable. Like I did not even know this was a thing when I played through the game. Like there did not seem to be any kind of real suggestion beyond like a menu that says like the Nightopian menu and you open it up and you're just like, I don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, but it, it definitely, um, it definitely is a game that like, depending on how you interact with it, you're going to come away with very different op- opinions on it. But, um, but that second layer, but when it comes to structure is probably what I think is most interesting about what changes in night journey of night, night's journey of dreams. Um, because it does try to expand out the structure of the game quite a bit and diversify it, which I think makes a lot of sense for what was happening in 2007 with video games. Um, and, and I think I do really appreciate what they were trying to do, even if they aren't particularly successful at it. So I do want to make a video talking about that aspect of night's, um, journey of dreams specifically. But a lot of it is reliant on me talking about that structure aspect of Nights into Dreams. So I'm like, well, maybe I should just talk about the series, but I don't really want to talk about the series as a whole. I really just want to talk about the structure of the series in some ways. So I'm just kind of at a loss, like the best way to approach that, talk about both the games equally, just talk about Nights into Dreams a little bit, then go deep into what I think Night's Journey of Dreams is doing interesting. Do I position it as a Journey of Dreams review? Do I position it as a series review? I don't know. It's just one of those things that I just don't really know what to do with it right now. So I need to put some more thought into that, but I think that will show up on the YouTube at some point in some way as a video. So probably won't be like a scripted video. I don't want to say that. Actually, I don't want to say that, but still, I don't know. We'll see what what ends up happening with it. So play through that. Also played through Kogan this week uh, or last week. Uh, So Kogan, uh, the Sword of Rewind, if you don't remember what this is, this is that uh, kind of like Gunvolts inspired 2D action platformer kind of thing. Um, at least it visually has a similar feel to Gunvolt. Some of the characters feel very similar to Gunvolt as well. Um, but eventually, uh, Integrate's kind of officially sanctioned it in some ways with like adding, they have like a crossover thing. So you can actually play as Copen in, uh, uh, uh Kogen. It's funny because Copen is the character in Gunvolt. Kogen is the, uh, the, the city in, in, um, what's it called? Kogen, the Sword of Rewind. Um, so it's, it's a little confusing, um, but I only played through the game as Kogan and there's like an additional DLC mode that I played as well, um, for it that I didn't play through all of it, but I checked out a little bit. It's Kogan is a game that is fine as its own video game. If you don't know, it has like a Prince of Persia mechanic where it's like, there's the rewind aspect. So if you take damage, you can rewind time. Um, and then, so, you know, if you fall off a ledge or something like that, you can rewind time to you know, save yourself or whatever. And the game is not shy about killing you. It has a death counter on the top right corner of the screen. Every time you hit something, that counter goes up, even if you can rewind. Um, so, you know, I rewind and then go back and you're in a safe spot. That kind of messes with the flow of the game in a way, you know, you kind of want to keep, keep moving in that game. Um, and, and just like the, the, you know, running into something and then everything freezing and stopping, then having to rewind just pacing wise doesn't feel great. Um, but overall, I think it's like a fine 2D platformer. And if you're looking for just like a solid 2D action platform that has a bit of challenge to it, I think it is a, a, a great, um, or maybe not great, but like a, a good one of those and is worth playing. Um, but I think what's most interesting about Kogan is just like being inspired by Gunvolt, you know, what that means from a damage perspective, and especially because if you don't know in the Gunvolt series, the characters have um, almost like an energy armor to them. And depending on what you're doing in the game, that energy armor can go away. Um, so, you know, if you're attacking an enemy, typically your energy armor will go away. Um, there are some attacks that work with the energy armor on. So there's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff with that. But basically, um, you know, if you get hit, 
that energy armor blocks any damage and then that meter goes down and, and you know eventually you'll run out of energy and you'll start taking real damage so sort of or kogan sort of re- rewind kind of takes that concept but then applies that layer on with the time element um so you have different layers of time that basically block those attacks um again if you didn't play gunvolt you would just think it's like a typical rewind and maybe it is for the most part but in the context of like knowing this has some like inspiration from gunvolt seeing that kind of connection is, is kind of a neat thing but it's not like anything super amazing the the one thing that i will say is like fun about the game or like it is a neat mechanic about the games you can do like reflections on bullets and stuff so if you hit a bullet you'll knock it back which is actually something the new character and Gunvolt 3 does I believe as well um so so it is it is neat in that regard but it's just yeah it's just maybe not I don't know it's just not like super interesting overall it just kind of feels like a traditional hack and slash action platformer it's got a nice challenge to it so I think if you're looking at Kogan you're just like this looks like a fun game go for it if you're looking at Kogan and saying there's something interesting here I think it's a lot less likely you'll get something out of it, unfortunately. So one thing I did think was kind of, I guess it is also kind of bad, but it is kind of nice just because some of the characters were were, were kind of fun and, and how they deliver some of the story elements um, is that the, the story is almost like, eventually there is an antagonist, more traditional antagonist, but the beginning of the story is kind of neat because like you have these antagonists in the game and they're kind of working against you. And it's very much like the whole like, oh, they have their own motivations that are, you know, driving them to do what they do. And and sometimes you get in conflict and stuff. Um, But the characters do not seem super like, like locked in to being aggressive to you. So there are times that like you go through a whole thing and the character is just trying so hard to stop you from doing something. And you get there and you're like face to face with them. Like, why are you still here? Why are you here? Like, I need you to not be here kind of thing. But, uh, but, um, basically, like, how did none of the stuff I do stop you? And, but then they'll be like, hey, if you're going to do this, I'm going to die. So I need to stop you from doing this kind of thing. And the main character is just kind of like, oh, well, I don't want to kill you. Like, <laughs> like, I just would not prefer not to do that. So it's, it's more about like trying to find alternatives and stuff. And nobody seems like hyper aggressive to each other. So nobody seems super locked in. So once like, they're like, oh, you seem like a reasonable person. They generally end up collaborating for the most part. Um, the, 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 the one exception is the actual antagonist, which I won't get into the details of it too much, but basically it's like the one, like not reasonable person, the whole scenario almost, um, otherwise everybody else is like open to just kind of working together. So like, everybody's like, I just want this situation to end in a good way for me. And, and I, I, I would appreciate it if we can end this in a way that does not kill me kind of thing. Um, and, and the main character themselves are like that too. Cause like, you know, uh, you have a lot of games where you have heroic sacrifices from characters and stuff. Um, and I kind of like it when th- they add additional aspects to those that don't, you know, necessarily, um, amount in in like the character only having the heroic sacrifice part of it um in the case of kogan the main girl more or less you know there is like one part where she's like okay i guess i have to take this dice roll because this is the only thing i can do um but more or less she's like i would prefer to do the thing that does not kill me thank you (laughs) and so so she she she's very vocal about that as well and so it's just like i don't know it's kind of nice having a character that's like you know that's heroic and all but I would also like to be alive. So um, I think the best example I can think of, I'm going to go into like, and this is outside of Kogan, but like I'm going to go into talk about the original Nier. So if you don't want spoilers about the original Nier, um, the video version, I'm going to, I'm going to put my hand on my chest, hold my hand up as well. There we go. We're going to, 
Raise the praise the Lord um, while we do this. I can't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing right now, but I'm gonna do this, and I'm going to while I while I spoil this thing in near. I'm gonna do this for the audio version. Uh, skip ahead and and best of luck. <laughs> but but in near, um, you have the whole scene where uh, Emil sacrifices himself, and like what I really like about that scene in near is that you have him basically having the whole heroic moment of like oh. Um, you know, I, I want you, Kaine and Nier to live. And so he like basically like launches them away um, from everybody else. But um, but then like you get to see him after that scene be like alone, just basically waiting for his death at that point. And and he just basically curls, curls up in a ball and starts crying about how he doesn't want to actually die. And he wished he could still be with him and stuff like that. And I really appreciate that because it is like, you know, you have the heroic scene, but like being able to like see that other side of it of just like, oh, like there's still not a good outcome for him. Like he's not happy about this situation per se. Right. Uh, so, so I kind of appreciate that. Anyways, that's, that's it for near spoilers. Um, cross. All right. Did the cross spoilers are over. Sorry if you're doing the audio version. There's none of this is coming across at all. But, anyways, so I, I kind of appreciate that um, part of it. Um, there, there is one character I do really like because um, if you don't know, <clears throat> in Gunvolt Two, there's a character named uh, I think his name's Tessio, I believe, um, and he's like this green hair kid, and I actually like him as a character a lot. The problem with him is that he's like his whole thing is that he's like a meme guy so he's on the internet you know whatever and like when you do his boss fight like the nico nico text like flies across the screen however you feel about that however you feel about that but it does affect his dialogue where he's like you know say referencing memes and stuff and i think putting memes in a video game outside real world memes into a video game is a very difficult thing to do very well and i don't think gunvolt 2 avoids that issue but i think tessio himself is a very good character despite that layer on top of him so there's a character in this game called i think his name is hugo and he actually looks a lot like Tessio too. And I feel like Hugo is like that layer like pulled off Tessio. So he's like a really fun, entertaining character, but he doesn't have, like have the burden of a bunch of memes at the very least. So I like that a lot. The only problem is that I think the writing's just not so great in Kogan, honestly. I think it could be better. I don't know if it's like a localization issue or just like the original dialogue of the Japanese version. Maybe it's just not that interesting. But I just feel like the dialogue just not that engaging at times. But Overall, I think I enjoyed the story um, quite a bit, but there is like additional story in the DLC. Um, you play as another character who has like a different moveset. Um, it actually reminds me a lot of like um, Castlevania Portrait of Ruin where you play as the sisters where you fly around. So like how you interact with the world is different, which is kind of neat. Um, and how the level is designed around her as well. Um, but I just, I don't know, because I didn't like love the game, I kind of don't feel like a huge drive to go through the DLC as well. So... I think I'm going to not do the DLC for that game, unfortunately. Um, but I do think it's a, like a generally pretty good game. Just not, not quite what I was looking for out of Kogan specifically for myself. So, and the last thing I played was Zombie Panic in Wonderland. This is a WiiWare title. Well, the one I have is WiiWare. There's later versions. I'll get into it here in a second. Um, I picked this up when the WiiWare service was shutting down. If you don't know what this is, this is a on-rails, well, I don't know if it's like on-rails, more like a shooting gallery kind of thing. We talked about Space Invaders, or Space Raiders rather, a couple weeks back. It's similar to that, where it's like, you're in one spot, you go back and forth, and you're shooting these zombies as they come and attack you kind of thing. Um, it, as a WiiWare game, it's as limited as you'd expect. You know, there are a bunch of characters, but they all have kind of the same, you know, weapons and stuff. So it's not like a bunch of diversity um, and then also like the levels, you know, are pretty short. Um, there's like limited art assets, things like that, 
WiiWare was not like a service like a large file size or whatever. But it was entertaining. There's like a little story. It's like a 25 minute story mode you can go through. And it's like kind of fun because you play as like Momotaro. I don't remember like I don't know what Momotaro is based off. I mean, the Japanese like folklore character, I think. But you, put, you play as Momotaro or whatever. And he travels to like the uh, Wizard of Oz world where like Dorothy is there. And like she's trying to calm down the uh, the the Tin Man or whatever, and then you go to the uh, the Snow White world or whatever, and there's like these the game actually has dwarves all across it, but then you go and like find Prince Charming and all that stuff. So like it's kind of fun. It's got a goofy like humor sense of humor to it. It's got an anime style. Like Snow White is like the can I speak to your manager kind of <laughs> like lady um, in in the game, and she like punches a guard at some point. So it, it's it's pretty humorous about its its story, but it's not like anything crazy. It's very low budget. Um, but it was like fun for what it was and and it did it was not received super well here but I was looking at the Wikipedia and I, I have vague memories of this back in the day but um it actually caught on in Japan a little bit um, even though it's like a Spanish developer well I think Marvelous soft published it there um and um and so it actually uh was like number one on the WeWare charts for a while I think um so but uh, it got a port later on. Um, to iOS called Zombie Panic in Wonderland Plus, and they added some more content there, it looks like. And then they reported that stuff to a 3DS version of the game called Zombie Panic in Wonderland DX, which seems to have added more and changed the level layouts and things like that. And then they ported that 3DS version to the Switch and PC. So it's really weird. You have this original WiiWare version that looks very different from the later versions. Then you have this iOS version that kind of looks like the WiiWare version in terms of the environments, but the graphical quality is dumbed down in a way that it looks closer to like the 3DS game. And then there's also monsters that they added in for that one that appear in the 3DS game is not. So it's like this weird in-between. And you have the 3DS game, which mechanically is definitely the same game. And you can see like all the pieces and how they connect to that original WiiWare game. But the actual game itself looks very different like for example the final boss in that game in the WiiWare version is very straightforward very simple but in the 3ds version he has multiple phases and things like that that you 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 can play against and that is the version that's in the switch on switch and on on pc and so you end up in that weird situation where like the WiiWare version looks better in some ways than any other version after that like when it comes to texture detail and things like that um but also the 3ds versions um like are, are a lot more compact and so they look a bit more denser in certain ways um and and because they have more variety in the environments they kind of look a little neater because they probably were dealing with like a larger file size and stuff so so it's really interesting to see those the, the different like iterations this game kind of went through where it kind of goes from like beta to you know some weird in-between thing to like what the final product would be i'm kind of curious about checking out the 3ds version at some point but it's not different enough that i think i'm that interested honestly so I don't know. Maybe someday. We'll see. I, I'm not really sold on it. I mean, it's very short. So the big thing is just like, you know, spending $10 on it or something to sit down for 25 minutes. It seems like it has maybe a little bit extra story, but maybe not like enough to really drive me to want to, you know, go out and get it. So it's fun little thing. There's an arcade mode in the WiiWare version as well, where you can do like a score attack. And as I think at least one additional stage you can play in the arcade mode, that's not a part of the story. Um, but I sat down and spent some time on it. I was like, I don't really care about this because all the characters play exactly the same as far as I can tell. And I just was not interested in playing like through the game multiple times with a character that just has a different skin or whatever. So 
maybe I'm missing something there, but that was my impression after sitting down and like replaying a little bit. It was like, oh, this is the same video game multiple times over if you play it again and just the character skin is different. Even like the character, like the story, if you play as Dorothy, you still see the story from Momotaro's perspective. So I don't know. WiiWare, I think that makes a lot of sense. Maybe on the 3DS, it, it would be different. I don't know. It's probably worth checking out at some point. Not today, though. Not interested today. <laughs> so anyway, sorry, I forgot to pull the Patreon stuff this week. I will do the Patreon stuff next week. I have a lot of stuff on this list here. So I will return to Patreon next week. Um, I also had to start this podcast over at some point. So I'm already way over on my own personal recording time. So I'm just going to move forward and we're going to push through and go into news. Um, again, though, thanks to the Patreon people. Um, Zero actually got on the Patreon this week. Patreon this week, so thank you, Zero, Paul, Daniel, Jillian, and uh, and uh, Discreet. Those are the four Patreon people right now um, for that. So, um, and we have Patreon content coming up actually. With uh, I'm going to do the commu- or a um, uh, uh, commentary on my Wario's Woods video that's coming out um, this week as well. If you want to check that out, so. Anyways, to get into news, we have a very wide range of things that I want to talk about this week. Um, some of these are updates to previous games we talked about. Other of these are things we haven't heard about in a while. Some of these are new video games. Some of this are old video game stuff coming out. Whole range of stuff. Um, so this is going to be a bit of a long news section, I think, overall. But hopefully we have some good discussions here as we go through it. First and foremost, um, even though I'm not playing it, I have been keeping an eye on the Final Fantasy VII First Soldier content that's coming out. Um, one thing that's really cool in season three is they're putting out a new map. Um, it is Midgar plate side. So this, from what I can tell in the trailer, looks like it's taking place, um, in like a, a city in, uh, in, in Midgar. I don't know if Final Fantasy VII lord enough to say where plate side is specifically, but it does give you a, bit, a little bit of a different terrain because the main parts of, or like the main city parts in the previous map before were kind of like run downish kind of areas. Um, so this one looks more like a traditional city that you're going through. That also means there's like large portions of areas that don't seem like they have a lot of cover and things like that. So I don't know if I'll be going back to play this, unfortunately, on the new map. Maybe I'll set some time aside here. We'll see. I'll think about it. But, um, I think it is their cool. They're bringing it back. I just, I would rather it be on PC. If it was on PC, I'd be more likely to check it out than trying to like set my phone back up to, to play it again. Um, they also announced a new job as well called, uh, the, I looked at the Japanese trailer. It was called Machinery. If you think about like what this mach- job is in the U.S. like context, I think this probably is actually Machinist in the U.S. version. I'd be curious if they keep the same name as the Japanese one. But Machinery was the Japanese uh, job name. Basically, just a, a class that uses a bunch of gadgets. They have like a hoverboard and stuff too that they can use and like an EMP thing. So anyways, I just thought that was like some nice new content there. The new map is like the really big draw for me because at some point, you know, you play one map long enough in a Battle Royale game, you kind of kind of out run out of scenarios you can run into. I think that's like a lot of the appeal of, of Battle Royale games is like as the circle ends in different areas, you get kind of different end game experiences. And once you start like having those same end game experiences over and over and over again, you know, it becomes a lot less likely you're going to get something that feels unique or diverse at, at some point. So, so having a new map is going to be a big help for that. There's also a Chocobo GP update where they're adding a new racetrack called for Ballum Garden from Final Fantasy VIII. Um, that's the only new free thing I think in season two. And then I think they're adding like two additional characters or whatever for the season pass content. 
As always, I will not recommend you interact with the Battle Pass stuff in that game. It seemed really boring, honestly, from a content perspective, like in terms of how you pursue that Battle Pass, like because it seemed just like race normally and you'll get points. And just so it seems like you're just grinding out races in a way that I think is not fun versus like something like Final Fantasy VII for Soldier, where I feel like it really changed how you played um, if, if if you were trying to get to the season pass. So that was a really cool thing about First Soldier is that because the game was so diverse in ways you could get to the end and succeed um those kind of uh battle pass aspects kind of explored you to explore those different ways of going through the game and 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 utilizing different resources where like in chocobo gp it was just kind of like i don't know drift 20 times jump 20 times like whatever like who cares it's a racing game yes i'm going to drift (laughs) that is just something that's going to happen thank you (laughs) so so yeah uh, there's also a new Gunvolt 3 trailer, I think, this week as well. Or some of these are like two weeks ago, I will say. I don't remember which ones of these are which. Um, and so one really cool thing, we talked about Kogan a bit earlier. One problem I had with Kogan, and I have this with, you know, most Gunvolt games, and this is also like an issue with Splatoon as well, where like if you have a really action-heavy game on the front, like like from a gameplay perspective, if you display text and expect me to read it, like with no voiceover, I have a really hard time actually understanding what i'm reading because i'm focused on what's happening i'm trying not to die right now is what i'm trying to do and then you're like there's like text at the bottom of the screen and so you know in a japanese version of a game that makes a lot of sense because you're listening to you know, the character saying japanese you're going to be able to hear it as well but when that comes over to the u.s and the, there's not it's not like dubbed or something it you have that disconnect that happens in the case of splatoon or something like that that's something that happens across the board because, um, you know, they use gibberish speak or whatever. So I don't know if that's like a wide range problem for people, but it's a problem for me in Gunvolt games a lot. And I was really happy when in Luminous Avengers G or Zik X um, from the get go, they did not include any dialogue in the the stage sections of the game. I don't know if Gunvolt 3, they're going to be having that dialogue in the stage sections, but if it's English dubbed, I would be perfectly fine with it being in there other than pacing because the problem Gunvolt games have is they don't pace out the dialogue well. So if you play the game normally, you start cutting off dialogue that characters are talking from because the, there's just too much you know dialogue laid out in front of the, the characters so if you like start moving forward like you'll miss story points it's it's really dumb um and and other games have this problem too as well um but the case the case of gunvolt it happens non-stop if you play the game which is what it's happening like you're basically just sitting there waiting for dialogue to happen so for a game that's really about moving forward quickly at least the first two gunvolt games um, it's really obtrusive and annoying. Um, so as long as they get that pacing right, I would be happy for them to bring dialogue back into the combat. I didn't play X2 yet, so I don't know what how they handled it. Maybe they had dialogue mid-mission. I, I, I don't know for that. Another couple cool things in here, though, is that I, I think this may have already been known, but I, I, I don't remember it at least, was uh, the one of the stages like Christmas-themed, which I really like. I really like holiday-based stages and games. I feel like there's a lot less of that these days, um, you know, unless we start looking at live games specifically. Um, live games specifically will interact integrate that stuff. But I like including, you know, holiday stuff in static games that, that you know, applies to to that game year around rather than just like for this particular event that happens in a short time frame or something like that. Um, anyway, so, so the, um, the other aspect of this too, is that there's like a character swapping system with it. So basically, um, Kieran and Gumvolt, you can switch between the two actively on the fly. My biggest concern about this specifically is from a, a me perspective with this, um, what I want out of any creates games are new characters. I always want new characters. I don't really want to play old characters very much because I kind of already got what I needed out of them. Right. Is why I personally would have really preferred Gunvolt 2 to have mainly focused on Copen rather than on Gunvolt. 
um, which, you know, it did get like a 50-50 split or whatever. So um, in, in the case of this game, I do worry that I will be more interested in playing Kieran. And so I really will focus on Kieran when I when there's probably going to be some aspect to character swapping that will probably be beneficial. And that could add some interesting elements to the gameplay. But I don't want to play Gunvolt because I've already played Gunvolt in th- two different games beforehand, right? So like part of me is just like, I don't really want to switch to, to Gunvolt if I've already, you know, done enough with him that I don't really feel like playing anymore of, of him. So I might really focus on Kieran in a way that might make the balance of the game weird for me. So that's really my only concern. But I think it is cool that they're allowing you to do that. I just personally would prefer the game to be focused on Kieran specifically. But at least it seems like I have that choice. I just don't know if that will be the right choice if the game's not designed in that way for you to only play as one character or something like that. Anyways, that's still coming out on July 29th. I don't know when I'll be getting it. I don't think I'll be getting it at launch. I just know I won't be ordering the limited run games version because I really don't want to wait that whole year. I want to be able to buy it whenever and not have to worry about all the other stuff. So I'll be importing it from Japan yet again um, and and not pre-ordering it. I was actually talking to somebody on Twitter again recently about this because if you don't know, any creates games in Japan, they have their pre-order bonuses and they're very like retailer focused. I think a lot of games do this in Japan where each retailer has their own pre-order bonuses, which is something that did not do well here in the U.S., um, for the most part, uh, it still happens though. It happens, but definitely in Japan, it seems like it's a bigger thing. And <laughs> any creates in Japan, like makes the horniest merchandise for their, for their games. And like, if you know, like the, the, like at least how the age of how certain characters appear in the game, it gets really like really uncomfortable. I think to some fans at times, uh, because of that. So, so somebody was just like looking at the blaster master zero, um, uh, pre-order art and like, wow, this is incredibly horny, like borderline pornographic. And it's like, yep, that's what any craze does. So I haven't looked at the Gunvolt 3 pre-order bonuses that much, but I would assume probably similar thing there. Um, it's kind of funny though, because like any kind of like limited run bonuses and stuff in the US, like very much avoids all that stuff. And they're just like, yeah, here's like a, here's a box. Here's a big box. You like big boxes, don't you? Don't think about the horny stuff that comes with the Japanese version. <laughs> so, so yeah, but that's a, that's a, uh, a interesting thing to see people react to. Um, I don't personally have any real strong feelings about it either way, but it's just like, uh, but it's interesting to see that shock value on people's faces when that, when that happens and, and like how they, how they come to terms with it. Cause some seem very like shaken about it. So, um, Dragon Quest Treasures. Uh, this game was announced a while ago, and I forgot about it. Um, I'm actually really excited about this game, though. Um, they, they showed off a trailer recently that really didn't do anything other than just say, this video game exists, by the way. We're going to be showing it off again soon. I think they said in June, so like kind of E3 time frame. Um, but it just kind of it showed uh, kind of an updated art style. It's very slight changes. You know, Dragon Quest has kind of a set art style. So when you talk about changing art style, it's like, how does that outline on the characters look and things like that? It's minor, minor stuff. Um, but uh, I am pretty excited about this game. If you didn't see the original trailer for this, basically it's kind of a um, 3D platformer in some ways, although it looks a bit more open-ended kind of, and, and like you have like this like glider and you fly around a different ch- treasure chest and things like that. It's kind of interesting to see the announcement it was because, you know, Battle and Wonderworld was a thing as well. So you had Square Enix like publishing these two different like 3D platformers kind of thing. So, you know, maybe it's not, maybe platformer is not a great way to like categorize that game. We'll have to see what it looks like with more. But most of what they showed was like just characters navigating around, flying around and like getting treasure chests on different like uh, environments they're kind of traversing. So maybe there's more combat in the game that we just don't know that much about. It's kind of got a cute chibi style though. Looking forward to that though. There's a state of play next week actually, or this week, I think. Um, I think it's like June 2nd. 
Um, and then there's the actual like uh, uh, Summer Games Fest coming up the week after that. So I wouldn't be surprised if sometime in that first half of the month we'll we'll see something new. But um, definitely excited to see more. They have the the trailer was dubbed as well, which I don't remember. That might be the first time they've announced the games coming to the U.S. But I think Dragon Quest stuff generally, unless it's Dragon Quest Ten related, uh, I think Dragon Quest stuff generally makes it over. I guess like some of the mobile stuff doesn't. Actually, I think all the mobile stuff has arcade games don't but that makes a lot of sense i don't know i'd be curious to see if go back and like look at all the dragon quest stuff that was put out recently and like see which ones actually made it i'm still unsure if that dragon quest 10 offline mode thing will make it i feel like it will make it over here though so um there's a new action rpg that was announced by furio uh, i thought it was the alliance alive developer but it seems like it's just a similar art style and the actual developer is different it's actually from the people who make the tokyo ghoul game on ps4 that i wanted to check out but never got around to doing i should pick that up at some point that game looks cool um but it's like a new action rpg kind of isometric focus you have like a party that kind of walks around um uh, with you but it also seems to have multiplayer did it, i don't think it's mentioned if it's local or, or online but they mentioned there being multiplayer so you can play with two other people it seems like um i'm curious how that's like structured if they can play through the whole game with you or if they just like join in for different parts i know like um the uh final fantasy origins game with the uh the, the koei tecmo one i think when you did multiplayer in that game it was more like a, oh your friends can join in but it wasn't like they were playing through the game with you really so so yeah there's also some old games that uh, got re-released here. Um, this one's super interesting, actually. Sonic 06 got relisted on the Xbox Store, which we don't know what happened. I think it was like 10 years ago at this point. Um, Sega was like, hey, guys, we want to focus on Sonic's quality. And we're only putting out quality Sonic games from this point on. Um, which, you know, depending on who you are, you know, that's a different opinion you're feeling but you can look at the reviews of sonic games you could probably see that you know other than sonic mania most of them still haven't been super well received by um the the mainstream media outlets right so they delisted and stopped selling a bunch of games and one of those games that they stopped selling was sonic 06 on on um yeah sonic 06 and so they're they relisted it recently on the xbox store um and this is like one of those, this kind of goes back to what i was talking about a couple weeks ago with square enix of like Hey, at the time, people people probably would have said Nier was a bad game and nobody would have like touched it when it came out and say preferably maybe Square Enix should have released it. But 10 years later, people like Nier and, and it's, I'm glad it came out because then we got to actually enjoy it kind of thing. Um, and I feel like Sonic 06, well, maybe <laughs> maybe not quite at that level of like Nier of being like somewhat acceptable. I think Sonic 06 is even by the fan base recognizes a fairly uh, uh, messed up game in some ways. Um, there's a fan base that likes Sonic 06 and, you know, they should be able to buy that if they want to, I feel like. Um, and then as people learn about Sonic 06 and want to play it, I think that should be available for somebody to purchase. So like, yes, Sega had the reason to delist it based off brand property and what they're planning on doing that with games and stuff like that. Um, but I just think it was kind of like a unnecessary move, honestly. And, you know, I don't know, like... It's one of those things that, like, Sonic 06 now is... I, the people who grew up with Sonic 06 are fans of it are, are now playing video games and talking about it on the internet. So it just it just makes sense to have that stuff available for people to rebuy. So I'm glad that they relisted it. Um, I saw some people making fun of that, but I think it's a very good thing that they did that, even though it's a rough game in a lot of ways. I need to play Sonic 06 at some point still. We'll see. There's also the uh, kind of fan remake that's happening. I think it's called Project 06, if I recall correctly. Um, and that looks really, really good. Um, I don't know if that's fixing the glitches and bugs. I assume it probably is. 
But you know me, I'll play the original game and, and, and suffer. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll really like it though. That's the other thing. It's like, I could really like Sonic 06. We'll have to see. Um, on the Nintendo side of things, there's the Umihara Kuase came out on the Super Nintendo online uh, service in Japan, which I believe, I think Vink told me this a while ago, that if you just log into the Nintendo uh, Switch online SNES or NES app, um, using a Japanese account, um, you can still, uh, access those games, even though you don't have like a Nintendo switch online, uh, like paint paid account in that region. They just kind of let you play whatever across all the board across the board. So I think if you want to play Umihara Kawase, uh, that is a way to do that now on the switch. Um, this actually made me rethink about it because I was just like, Right now, I am kind of trying to play smaller games at the moment um, because I have a lot of backed up videos, although maybe in some ways that's a bad thing, honestly. But the smaller games definitely have been more appealing to me. And um, Umihara Kawase might be like a good good short-term game for me to check out um, because I don't think there'll be a lot that I want to say about Umihara Kawase. I think there's enough people who talk about Umihara Kawase, probably, that's, um, that I don't really need to say that much. But I don't know. I probably should consider it. I have it on Vita, though, so I'd probably just play it on, on PlayStation Vita. Um, rather than play this Switch release specifically for any reasons. They actually released some other Super Nintendo games as well, Rival Turfs, Congo Capers, and uh, NES game Pinball as well. Um, although, Con- is Congo Capers a TurboGrafx game? No, that's Super Nintendo, I'm pretty sure. Um, anyways, so um, I don't really have any thoughts on that. I mean, kind of the, 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 the takeaway I have from a lot of these subscription backwards compatibility services is that for the most part, none of these are really for me. It's a great way to access those games if I need to, but this is not like my main way to play retro games. So, you know, when they add stuff, very rarely is it really going to be like something that I look at and go like, ah, yes, this is the way I want to play this video game. Um, I think I would rather approach them in either buying the original game or playing it on original hardware or things like that. Um, maybe using like a flash cart or something like that on a um on a uh, super nintendo um i think i feel i would feel differently if i could like specifically buy a game individually and i probably would go on my way to buy it but just to like subscribe to these services i don't know i don't i don't really feel like these are for me in that way i'm not going to stay subscribed to a service for this like weird trickle of video games that comes out so in speaking about that actually there's the playstation plus uh classic collection stuff that came out so if you don't know we didn't really talk about on this podcast much um you there's like a new playstation plus tier where if you upgrade to it you get access to classic PlayStation games. And they put out a list of games and it's it's weird. It's like they, they uploaded like a list of like, hey, we're, we're bringing forward PlayStation 2 games for you to play. But like they're like the PS4 versions of the game, the remasters, or they'll be like, hey, we have a PS3 version of a game, but it's like the remastered version on PS4. It's, it's really strange how they're handling this. But uh, one of the things that they did though was um, the PlayStation 1 games are using PAL versions, which if that sounds familiar, Basically, this is similar to what happened with the PlayStation Classic. So uh, Sony is using the European version of the game. Um, Why that's relevant is because how European games displayed back then could be very different from the U.S. version, um, whether that be to the aspect ratio of the game and how that was handled. Um, But it can also be the speed of the game as well. Um, some games were managed correct in a way that like, you know, would correct them for each region, but you could end up with a game that comes out in Europe and it plays too slow. So like you have games that, that just have like a really like slower pace to them or the, even like the music and stuff sounds slower as well because it's all slowed down because of the refresh rate of this. Um, so, um, it is something that most games were designed it depends on where the developer's from, but most Japanese games and, and U.S. games are designed with um, um, the U.S. 
in Japan standard in mind, 60 hertz, right? So you have games that are Japanese games that were designed to run at 60 hertz that are being, you know, that were converted to 50 hertz for for Japan to different levels of success, or for Europe for different levels of success. And now they're being brought back to the service to platforms that are to, to regions that had 60 hertz with NTSC but they're having the slower European versions that weren't necessarily optimized correctly. Um, so it's like this really weird situation. Um, and, you know, it's it, it kind of brings up this interesting thing of like, um, I actually uh, recently went and read an old Kamimi, or Kamimi, I always say Kamimi, but there's actually only two two me's in there. So it's Kamimi. Um, I always say Kamimi, me, though. I kind of like Kamimi, me, me, though. Um, but uh, Kamimi uh, had a old um, uh, uh, coffee article that she wrote um, that that I reread recently. Um, and it basically was talking about how, like, uh, PAL European games are kind of, like, mistreated um, in the, the preservation scene and classic gaming scene where they're, they're kind of viewed as redheaded stepchildren versions of games kind of thing, or they're just like, these aren't worth anything. They just kind of shim out the side, but like, obviously a whole region of the world was playing these versions of the game for whatever reason. And in some cases you had games that were designed for 50 Hertz brought to 60 Hertz and were optimized the other way around and stuff like that. So it's just a really weird situation. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, I think it absolutely is true that like PAL is not, you know, given the the value that or maybe not the value the 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 correct like um respect it deserves but really what you what you need in these situations more than anything is the ability to switch between those different versions so if somebody wants to play the 60 hertz ntsc version they can they want to play the 50 hertz ntsc or pal version of a game they can so they have those options available and i think nintendo does this very well where i think you can switch between the different regions of games and and play those different regions and things like that um, I think every collection should do this to some degree. Any good collection, I think, should have different region versions of a game and then even different platform versions, right? I kind of feel like if you release Sonic the Hedgehog, you should include the Master System version, the Game Gear version. Admittedly, those are kind of different games to some degree. But like if you, if, let's say, for example, for some reason you made a Master System collection for Sonic the Hedgehog, you should probably also include the Game Gear versions if there's differences, things like that, right? Um, I, I, I think it's important. I think it's cool to give like a full range of, of, of versions of the games to look at, even if one version is considered like worse or not. I think there's a, um, the Blizzard collection actually did something interesting where they took the Super Nintendo version of a game and the Genesis version and made them both playable to you, but then they also crammed them together, took the best aspects of each of them and then made them into one video game. And I think that's really cool too. So there's a lot of different ways you can handle this in kind of interesting ways. Um, but yeah, it is just not really ideal to have some of these games you know, running and, and what was, you know, in some ways bad poor jobs, right? Like the, 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 I think Kamimi mentioned it in that, that, that article she wrote that like, Hey, it wasn't a creative decision at times to make a game run slower. It was just, we didn't have the budget to actually optimize it properly and we have to release it. So this is how we're going to do it kind of thing. Right. So it's not necessarily that the PAL version is necessarily the right answer. Although for someone it might be, that might be the version of the game they're looking for in some way. So I did, I did joke on Twitter that like, that like Jim Ryan wants you to play PlayStation games the way he experienced them as a kid. Cause he, he's uh from the UK, I think. So if you don't know Jim Ryan, he's like the CEO of Sony and stuff like that. So anyways, it's, it's kind of an interesting conversation. I would be really curious like to hear someday why this keeps happening. Um, I've seen a lot of speculation. It's based off like the different language support in those games. 
Um, I know for the PlayStation Classic, there was a lot of speculation that it was like, hey, the PlayStation Classic can't handle 60 hertz versions of games. It's just a lot of weird situations with that. So I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting thing. I'd be really curious to hear a definitive answer someday. Maybe 10 years from now, we'll finally get somebody who's just like, oh, yeah, I worked on that project. And we were like given one like internal build. This is the only internal ISO we had for this video game, unfortunately. Otherwise, it'd go out to the Internet and pirate it, basically. So so I don't know if that's going to be the case with that or not. So oh um so i mean i know it's not for you guys right now but i am at like the hour and 40 minute mark of recording because i messed up the initial recording for this so i am exhausted i'm gonna blast through these last news stories here real quick i think there's maybe some interesting things to talk about them but i think a lot of people have already talked about them real quick i think a lot of you guys are aware that the wii u and 3ds eShop, uh, you can't load credit card like stuff on there anymore or you can't use your credit card to load points on there anymore however you still can purchase stuff from it there's a couple different ways you can do that they're loading on money like nintendo points cards as well as uh connecting your switch account to your wii u and the 3ds eShop account and so you can like um um buy points on your switch and then that that can be basically applied to your your wii u and 3ds in some ways um you know i'm gonna say right now i have definitely like retweeted stuff about like hey you can always pirate wii u and 3ds games and whenever um i do want to kind of like just specify my my stance on that stuff because i am like hey you should pirate nintendo g because there's no way to purchase it and things like that i think it is always good to like give money if you can for purchasing video games and i think honestly like we mentioned talk about zombie panic and wonderland you know if i wanted to get the 3ds version of that game i would go ahead and buy it i would give them the money for that honestly because I do think it's important to purchase video games. Um, but I think what where I'm starting to draw the line is like basically trying to go out of my way to give money to like Nintendo and Sony if they are starting to like actively push against it. I think something like this is like a fairly minimal barrier to get in, you know, to, to purchase something. You know, you can still go out of your way to purchase it. But something like WiiWare or something like that, like where where you have to basically purchase it and then, you know, you can never purchase anything ever again from there on out. Um, and then it's like what ends up happening is like, you know, you go and you buy a bunch of WiiWare stuff where the service shuts down just to like basically feel good about legally owning something. Um, but then you have the situation where like you don't know how long you'll have legal rights to re-download that product, right? Um, the Wii and DS shops is still down on uh, WiiWare and DSiWare shops are still down, which I know you, you can't put any money on there, but you can still re-download your stuff. But at this point, you can't do that. So, like, if, if Nintendo and Sony are not going to, like, like, respect your ability to, to you know, redeem your game, you know, pack, I really don't feel the need to, like, really go out of my way to give them money just to, like, you know, basically get a license, say, I'll come back to this later, something like that, right? Anyways, obviously, it's, like, a difficult conversation because everyone has different feelings on it. But I just want to kind of specify my feelings on that a little bit, that I think it is good to spend money in ways that you can as long as it's reasonably you know, something you can do, but I just don't think you really should go out of your way to bend your back over to give Nintendo money. If they're just saying like, ah, we might not let you buy this in a year. Like I, if, if they're, if you're not gonna let me buy it in a year and I don't know if I want to play it in a year, if a year from now you're not selling anymore, then I'm just not going to worry about it. <laughs> but, but I do think it's good to always just keep that in mind. Don't sit there and like worry about spending $2,000 on a 3DS eShop account and then worry about a situation where you can't download them later when you actually are there to like play it. And you're like, well, now I have to pirate this either way because Nintendo's not letting me download this anyways. So, so stuff like that. And speaking of stuff shutting down as well, um, there was also an article um, from the Final Fantasy XI director or a, 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 a like interview. There's like an interview series because the 20th anniversary for Final Fantasy XI right now. And uh, basically they just said, hey, 
we're not shutting down the game anytime soon. There's a while where they're talking about like very short timelines of budget they were getting for Final Fantasy XI, like every six months. And it sounds like at the 20th anniversary, they got an extension on that budget to plan like a year out instead of six months out. Um, but it sounds like basically they're saying, hey, we're in like a position where we don't anticipate there being a, you know, us shutting down the game anytime in the near future. So that's really good. I'm glad Final Fantasy XI is still sticking around, that it's still staying popular. I'm always surprised to see when people start picking up Final Fantasy XI. Like as somebody who's a longtime player or was a, a player of that game a long time ago, it's really confusing for me to look at that game and see how anybody can wrap their mind around it when there's literally 20 years worth of content just sitting in that game. Like, what do you do? Where do you go? Like there's a lot going on there um, that that I think is it's interesting to see people who take that that approach and jump into it. Holy crap, I'm ready to be done. Sorry, I know you guys weren't there for me this whole adventure, but I am almost two hours of talking and I am ready to be done and over. So I'm going to make this quick. OneControlWorld.com is the website. Like I said, Patreon video coming out this week um, for the uh, commentary on the Wario Woods review. I also have um, the community review for Crime Crackers going up because we finished up Crime Crackers on stream. This week at 7 p.m. Pacific time, we're going to go ahead and uh, play Rygar for the PlayStation 2. It's like a three to four hour game, so it should only take like two streams, hopefully. Said that about Crime Crackers and look at how long that took us. Um, let's go ahead and wrap that up. I have a Kudan Squash video that I finished, and that's all done and, and posted and, and are, are ready to go. Um, it's a little shorter than the other videos, so so don't expect anything too crazy. It's also a bit more straightforward than, like, say, the Nintendo G videos. So uh, I definitely kind of challenged myself with this one to kind of keep the production schedule um, pretty short. Seems like I always kind of have this back and forth where I go on a video that takes me way too long. And then after that, I try to do a shorter video that doesn't take nearly as long. I would like to find the middle point at some point because <laughs> that would help me continue to make content like at a regular pace at like a regular quality. Right now, I feel like there's often like these kind of significant jumps between those but you know we're trying to figure it out i've been thinking about the youtube a lot recently and, and trying to figure that stuff out i hate thinking about the youtube and like like how to grow it and stuff like that it's always a huge pain um and i am just trying to find ways that you know i don't have to compromise on what i necessarily want to do on this um youtube but still you know play my hands in, in a smart way because you know even though i'm not like super worried about like ever getting big or something like that right I put enough time into this YouTube that it would be good for it to grow, I feel like. Um, and 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 so I would like to still like, try to make an effort to, to expand out. So again, I do appreciate you guys listening, though. Thank you so much. I'm going to go give my voice a rest because holy crap, I'm done. I'm ready to be done talking because I've been talking nonstop. So I'm going to go. I hope you guys have a great week. Bye.